Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And it says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's good to see you guys. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and I am so excited that you are here. I can't think of a better way to celebrate Christmas than to celebrate together as a church family. So I'm thankful you joined us, but it's not just what we're doing on Sunday mornings. We have several really fun and exciting things coming up that I do not want you to miss out on. The first of which is this Saturday night. It's Parents' Night Out. So parents, we're getting into that busy Christmas season. If you need a few hours to decorate or Christmas shop or just go on a date, uh, our kids team wants to serve you by opening a home so you can just drop your kids off. They will have a good time. They will Fill them full of sugar and keep them alive so when you come back, they are ready to go home and ruin everything you set up in your absence. But that's this Saturday. Uh, we need you to sign up, though, eastsideorlando.com slash Christmas. If you want to uh, RSVP for that, please RSVP by midweek this week so we can plan the food and the items for the kids as well. Next, not this Saturday. Friday, but next Saturday is our all-church Christmas party. And so if you are looking for an opportunity, not this, did I get that right? Not this Friday, but next Friday, okay, sorry, is our all-church Christmas party. So that's a fun time to celebrate. Um, look, there's slides, perfect. Uh, all-church Christmas party, Friday, December 17th from 6.30 to 8.30. We've rented a coffee shop. It's decorated for Christmas. We're going to have food and things like that. But again, it would help us tremendously if you would RSVP. Please, RSVP, please feel free to bring people with you. And then Christmas Eve will be right here in this place and that, I know, is December 24th at 7 p.m. So there's a lot of exciting things. All of it is there on the website, eastsideorlando.com slash Christmas. If you would go there and sign up uh, and bring a friend so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them, we would be honored. So we're excited about all of those things, but I'm also equally excited about the opportunity we have to study God's Word together. This story is my favorite story. I don't know if it's because I get to wear like Christmas things and preach in front of Christmas trees or what it is, but I just love the Christmas story. And at the same time, like I've shared, it makes me a little nervous because it is the most familiar story of all the stories. 
And some of you know the Christmas story better than I know the Christmas story. And, and my prayer is that as we read and study and work through this familiar story, that God would give us a fresh perspective so that as a church, we would realize the Christmas story is not something to be celebrated at a special season once a year, but that God with us, the good news of Jesus Christ and the celebration of Christmas is a story that changes our life every second of every day. And that has been my prayer as I've prepared these messages, as we prepared for this place. We have no clue why the TVs are doing what they're doing. So you're just going to have to kind of bear with it. Savannah was down on her hands and knees, sweating tirelessly, unplugging, replugging. I told her, told her I would blame her in front of everybody, but the truth is she has done everything she can. We'll try to fix it next week. If you want to write a really large check, we'll just get rid of them and get better ones. But nonetheless, um, nonetheless, we will sell you those for lots of money. Um, just what you want for Christmas, TVs that don't work. Sorry, Matthew... I don't know what I'm doing. Matthew, every second of every day, Matthew chapter 123. You have a Bible? Let's just get to the Bible. You got a Bible? Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. When in doubt, turn to God's word. The, the theme for all month, the theme for the, all of the Christmas series is this one verse. The angel appeared to Joseph, uh, to Mary was found to be with child, and the angel appeared to Joseph and said this to Joseph, this will become the stepfather of Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Like that's the theme for this month. That's the theme for us as a church this Christmas season is unpacking and exploring what does that, that familiar verse mean when it says Emmanuel God with us. What does it actually mean that God lives with, dwells with, is with his people? And so we're going to bounce through the scripture because I don't know if you realize this or not, but that wasn't original to Matthew. And Gabriel showed up and he delivered that message to Joseph and Matthew recorded it, but Matthew stole it from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It was a prophecy that was written, recorded in the book of Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, which... When you think about evidence for the, the idea that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is, I don't know about you. I can't predict with any kind of certainty what I will have for lunch in an hour and a half. Like, it might change seven times between now and then. God predicted that Jesus would come in a certain town at a certain time in a certain region, born of a virgin, 700 years before he showed up on the scene. And Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy. We look back to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and we see this quote in its original context when the prophet Isaiah inspired by the Holy Spirit said therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and the context that was going on is the nation of Israel was under attack from every direction the most powerful army in the world at the time, the nation of Assyria, the, the people of the Assyrian people, they were poised to invade uh, the nation of Judah. And King Ahaz, the, the king of God's people, he was frantic, trying to find a solution uh, for how he could get out of this difficult situation that he had been found himself in. He understood that it was a self-inflicted self -inflicted distress, that the nation of Israel sinned and wandered far from God. And so as often happened, the further they wandered from God, the further they wandered from his protection. But Isaiah the prophet showed up, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, don't worry, like, I'm not going to just take care of King Ahaz and the, the Assyrians that are invading you. I'm going to fix once and for all the sin problem that is plaguing God's people, the nation of Israel. 
And this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to see a virgin, and she's going to conceive and bear a son. And there was probably some kind of fulfillment, not a virgin birth, but a birth in King Ahaz's temple, that a young woman and bore a son and named him Emmanuel. But the ultimate fulfillment was looking forward some 700 years into the future to the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But King, ah- King Ahaz didn't really understand and he didn't believe Isaiah. And so he went and he made a treaty with neighboring nations to try to defeat the king of Assyria. And so for three chapters, Isaiah continues to try to explain to King Ahaz and to the people of Israel that the promise that God was making was for them, was, more, was immeasurably more than they could have ever begun to wrap their mind around. And so he spends three chapters unpacking and explaining this promise. And finally, Lindsay read for us Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, for to us, as they're trying to figure out what does it mean, Emmanuel, God with us, that, the, the, that God is here. What does that mean? It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You realize this is one of those times that we've seen all throughout Scripture that God makes future promises in the past tense. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and he says, for unto us a child is born, as if it's already happened. And here and all throughout Scripture, when God makes promises, he makes future promises in the past tense. It doesn't matter how much time between the promise and the fulfillment, God is always faithful to follow through. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Like, praise God for that, right? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this prophecy in kind of two parts, that the virgin will conceive and bear a son, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then the King Ahaz and the people of Israel in, the, in uh, 700 BC trying to sort out what does Isaiah mean? What is the Holy Spirit trying to say through his prophet? And finally, for clarity's sake, he says a child is going to be born. The government's going to be on his shoulders. The promises are going to be fulfilled. And this is what he's going to be called. He's going to, have, he's going to be called many things. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And you kind of wonder, like, how many names does Jesus have? Right? Like, isn't Jesus enough? And then, you know, he's got his first and last name, Jesus Christ. That's what everyone thinks, that Jesus' last name was Christ, which was his title. Hopefully we know that. But then Isaiah shows up. He says his name's going to be Emmanuel. It's going to be God with us. He's going to save his people. He's going to be the Messiah. And then if that's not enough, there's going to be several more names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I think if we're not careful, we could look back at this and get a little confused. Like, I know when we had our daughter just over two years ago, Carissa gave me the illusion that I could contribute to what we named her. The truth is, she carried her for nine months. She birthed her. She could have named her Pink Elephant for all I care. And it would have been her decision to make because of what she went through. But we talked about all the different names, and we kind of landed on two names. We landed on the names Abigail and Brighton, and they have family meaning and some significance that I don't have time to unpack and can't remember all the details, to be honest. But nonetheless, we love the two beautiful names. And so we just decided when push came to shove, we're just going to name her Abigail Brighton. And we're going to call her whatever we feel like in the moment. Sometimes we call her Brighton. Sometimes we call her Abigail. Sometimes we're texting and we just text A-B, the two letters. And, and people, it kind of drives them nuts. They're like, what's her name? And we say, it's Abigail Brighton. And like, both names? Like, how country are you folks? Like, not at all. But like, we like both names. And so I just kind of pick and choose. Um... As long as we don't call her Abby, Chris, so we don't call her Abby. But nonetheless, 
nonetheless, it gets a little confusing. The names given to Jesus, these multiple names, weren't just something decided on by God or by Mary and Joseph or by the prophet Isaiah. These names were given to describe the character of who Jesus is. And each of these names describes the reality of the promise and the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. And so over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to just kind of dig into and unpack each of these names one at a time. The first one is this, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. What does it mean that Jesus is wonderful counselor? At first glance, it looks like a little bit of like an oxymoron to me. Like, have you ever met a wonderful counselor? I mean, who likes going to counselor? Nothing, if you're counselor by profession, there's a lot of good people. But like, it's not exactly the most wonderful experience, right? Like, I've seen it on TV. You sit there, you prop your feet up, you lay on the couch, and the first thing they ask is, like, like how are your feelings? Like, the last thing you want to do is share feelings with a stranger. So when you read this, like, what does it mean as a wonderful counselor? Jesus isn't like an earthly counselor. The Hebrew words for wonderful counselor, wonderful meaning uh, one who instills wonder, literally translated one who is beyond understanding. It's the word the Hebrew people would use to describe one who is too wonderful for words. We see this all throughout Scripture, that God leads us to stand in all of him, to marvel at God, that he is more magnificent than words can describe in the psalmists and the prophets and even the New Testament writers. They kind of stumble over themselves, it seems like, trying to describe the magnificent nature of our Messiah. Wonderful meaning one who instills a sense of wonder and is beyond understanding. Counselor meaning one who instructs or guides from a position of authority. So God with us is one who is too wonderful for words to describe. At the same time, he's the one who comes alongside us to instruct us from this position of authority. And I don't know about you, when I dig into this, I think like, man, that seems too wonderful to try to describe with words. Like, that's my job over the course of the next 45 minutes, is to describe how wonderful God is. That was a joke. It's fine. Uh, if you don't laugh, it might be not a joke. Uh, anyway, wonderful counselor, meaning it takes, um, it's, it's, it is in fact too magnificent for us to wrap our minds around, right? But Jesus teaching his disciples uh, some 700 years after the prophecy was made through the prophet Isaiah in John chapter 14 gives us some insight into what it means that Jesus is wonderful counselor. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at a few different passages, but go ahead and flip over to the New Testament, the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. As you turn there, here's the context. This is two-thirds of the way through John's Gospel, but it is the last day of Jesus' life. There is so much, John just spends so much time on these last few hours of Jesus' life, the teaching and the events that unfold. Jesus in John chapter 13 which we're going to skip for the sake of time, has just told his disciples that his time has come, that the, the, the things he has told them about going to a cross for the forgiveness of our sins was about to come to fruition. And as you might imagine, the disciples were pretty shaken up by this. This Jesus who they had left everything for, they had followed him for three years, they had heard his teaching, they had sat at his feet, they had watched him perform miracles, they had uh, dodged danger and become popular. All of this, all of their life kind of rose and fell with Jesus. And here Jesus says that he's about to leave them and go to a cross and their anxiety and the inner turmoil is just about to overflow. And so what does Jesus say? John chapter 14, verse one, we're just gonna walk through this relatively quickly. Jesus says to the 12, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Easy for you to say, Jesus, right? You're the one that said, you're leaving us. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be, which is the core longing of our heart. I don't know if you realize this, but the core longing of our heart is to be with the one who created us. And it demonstrates itself in many ways, but like when push comes to shove, like we have a, a desire, a draw, an attraction, an affection for God. And Jesus is saying that there's going to come a time where I'm going to go and prepare a place so that I can come and fulfill your core longing time with God, life with God. Verse 4, and, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Thomas, who was doubting, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him this, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's what, what Jesus says very quickly, is like, this is why I've come. All of the things that I've done, all of the, the miracles you've seen were to show you what life is like in the kingdom of God that I've ushered in with my life and in with my ministry and the things I've taught and the things I've said and where I've let you inside, these disciples, given you insight into what life is going to be like with God. Like now is that time. This is why I came because I am, Jesus would say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no way to the Father except through me, which in our 21st century perspective sounds very, very narrow, doesn't it? Like, and that's not a popular message in our world. And the truth is, it is. It's every bit as narrow as it sounds. But we don't make up the way. We're just kind of like the mailman here. We just tell people this is the way to God. But First John chapter 3, verse 5, later John would reminisce on the, the teaching of Jesus. And he would say this about Jesus. He says, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away the sins. And in him there is no sin. That This is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus came. And so Jesus describes to his disciples, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am the way for you. I'm the way for those who will follow after you. Then he goes on in verse 7. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it will be enough for us. Just like push pause on this for a second. If you're trying to figure out faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 15 minutes or 55 years, like this should give you encouragement. These disciples are asking basic questions after spending every day for three years traveling with Jesus, listening to him teach. Like there's a lot of questions we have about Jesus. The disciples still didn't have it all figured out, and yet they were still following after Jesus. Philip says, Lord, show us the way to the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me. That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. That is every bit as difficult to understand as it is to read, right? It just seems like Jesus is kind of stumbling over himself. And he, what he's doing, though, is he's introducing his disciples once again to this concept of the Trinity. That God exists in three persons. He's one God in three unique, distinct persons. 
persons. And it's one of those things, like if we dwell on it too long, if we think about it too long, our head will explode because there's no way our finite mind can figure out the nuances of the infinite God and his Trinitarian nature. It would be like, and I've said this illustration before, it would be like if we took a, a red solo cup and we drove over to the Atlantic Ocean and we thought we were going to fit all of that in this cup. It just, it would not fit because God is wonderful. He's too marvelous for us to be able to wrap our mind around, but he is one God eternally existent from eternity past to eternity future who exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, as Jesus has just said, and we'll see Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another, a helper to be with you forever. My translator, my uh, footnote says, if we could put it on the screen, which we can't, uh, it says, or it says, when it says helper, I've got, a, I've got a, a number, it goes down to the footnotes, it says, or advocate or counselor. The Greek word uh, parakaletos means an advocate, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a helper, one who comes alongside to give guidance and wisdom. And so what Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father, the, the, the part of the Trinity, the, the God the Father, when I leave, to send another helper or another counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will be in you. And so what does it mean that God is a wonderful counselor? It means that God exists in three persons. And the, the reality for us as followers of Jesus is that he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And, and here is how I think about that. I think if I got to pick one person of the Trinity to spend time with, it would be Jesus. Because Jesus is the one I grew up reading about. And I love when I read the stories of Jesus' life and his miracles. I just think, wouldn't it be so cool to go there on a hillside and watch Jesus teach or listen to Jesus teach? And then when you get a little hungry, someone gives him two fish and five loaves of bread and he multiplies and it just feeds the crowds. And I think, how cool would it be if I could spend time with Jesus today? Like I could have company over and if we hung out too long and I didn't have any time to go grocery stopping, I just call Jesus, take something out of the fridge and he just starts multiplying and feeding everybody. And I thought it would be, that would be incredible. And I've often thought, like, how cool would it be to be like the disciples when you have these somewhat dumb questions to be able to just, like, pick up the phone and call Jesus and say, Jesus, like, should I do this? Should I spend time? Where should I invest my time or my energy or my resources? And, and Jesus would just say, do you really need to ask that question? But, you know, he would give me wisdom. And I always think about it when I go fishing. Because if you've read the story, these professional fishermen, they're out there fishing and they fish all night and they don't catch anything and Jesus shows up and he shows them right where to cast and what do they do? They catch all the fish. And I've always thought, I'm out there fishing, I'm often like the disciples, catching nothing. I thought if Jesus was here, instead of my grandfather, whose boat this is, I would know where the fish are. And then if like you came home and from fishing or whatever, this miraculous catch of fish, and you found, God forbid, your dog was dead, you could call Jesus, and he would come by, and he would raise your dog to life and restore man's best friend. And if you came home and you found your cat dead, he could come over and help you dig a hole to bury the cat, right? <laughs> it would be so cool to spend time with Jesus. But the truth is, again, we would have it on the screen, in, in John chapter 16, in a few verses, Jesus says it's actually to his disciples it's better that I leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come. 
because I've spent time with you, but the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of you. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit will give you power. He'll give you life. He will guide your every step. That Jesus himself, when he came down from the Father's right hand to earth, as miraculous as it was at the incarnation, he had to set aside some of his powers as God. Like he set aside his omnipotence, right? It wasn't all powerful. There were things that he chose not to do. And omnipresence, especially, like he couldn't be all places at all times. So he spent time with a few, investing in them, trusting that they would take his message and build a church or start a church. One writer has said that uh, the nature of God's relationship with his people through time in the Old Testament, that God watches over his people. In the Gospels, God walks with his people. And in the Epistles and in the New Testament church, God lives in his people. Jesus would say that it's actually better that I leave you so that when you put your faith in me, the Holy Spirit can can come and dwell with you, dwell inside of you, and you can realize the fullness of Emmanuel, God with us. That's exactly what he says here in John chapter 14 when he says, uh, I'll give you the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. This is a especially special text for us today because we are celebrating a baptism Sunday. We have three people as soon as we finish here that are going to be baptized. And now here's the thing, like in 21st century America, in 21st century church, we spend so much time arguing over like the the linear line, like when is someone saved? And it's a worthwhile discussion and I have very specific thoughts on that. But I think what it does is it robs us of the realization that when we are baptized, when we unite our life with Christ in baptism, his death and his life, he gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he dwells inside of us. And from that point forward, we're no longer living life by our own effort or our own power. We're living life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it was in Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon and the Holy Spirit has been poured out for the first time on those who are following Jesus. And he preaches this incredible sermon about the death and the the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And then the people that were hearing about the enthronement and the atonement uh, they, they're cut to the heart and they say, man, what do we have to do to be a part of this? What do we have to do to be saved? If Jesus came to offer forgiveness and salvation, like how do we get in on that? And Peter simply says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the saving part. But then he goes on and it was something we often take for granted. He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That as soon as you unite your life with Christ in baptism, he gives his spirit to you to dwell inside of you, sanctifying you, shaping you from the inside out. And it's the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of God's people. Um, The Holy Spirit, I don't know, like, the Holy Spirit is, it's, in some ways, it seems like the most mysterious part of the Trinity, right? God the Father, we can kind of somewhat wrap our mind around. Jesus the Son, we have, you know, the, the four Gospels to see the way he lived life, who he was, and what he said. But the Holy Spirit is something we might struggle to understand. And so we go, like, two different directions. Like, kind of depending on the church and the tribe you come from, like, if you don't understand, you just, like, go all in, and, like, everything is the Holy Spirit. Or the way I grew up in a conservative church— I think well-meaning teachers, but we kind of just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Like, we couldn't understand it. We just didn't really talk about it. And the Trinity, I joke that I grew up with, is like God the Father, Jesus the Son, and his Holy Scripture, right? We didn't talk about the, the Spirit because it seemed a little strange. But Jesus, and, and, and we viewed the Holy Spirit this way. This, this isn't meant to be blasphemous. But we viewed him 
like every good author. Like he showed up, he inspired the, whole, the Bible, he left the Bible, and he rode off into retirement. Like that was kind of the way we viewed the Holy Spirit. But that's not who Jesus says the Holy Spirit is at all. In fact, he goes on in verse 18 and he says this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans to his disciples. I will come to you. Like the Holy Spirit is going to come to us, that he's going to dwell with us. He's going to be uh, present with us. He says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Jesus is talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says, in that day, you will know, you'll realize, you'll experience all that I've said to you, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, you are in me and I am in you, and that you're in perfect fellowship with God because of the sanctifying, atoning work of Jesus on the cross, atoning work of Jesus on the cross. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him, that the Holy Spirit is making God known to us. And then verse 22, Judas, parentheses, not Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine being named Judas and traveling with Jesus? And like John is recording the gospel, and Judas, not Iscariot, is there. He's like telling this part of the story. He's like, Judas, I'm going to include the question you asked Jesus. He's like, hey, can you put like a parentheses in there so they know that I'm not the Iscariot Judas? Because that didn't end well for him. And John's like, okay, Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And what he's continuing to say over and over in many ways is that the Holy Spirit is the promise of Jesus as wonderful counselor. That this is the way that Jesus is present with all of people at all time, that his Holy Spirit comes and dwells with us. Then it tells us a couple of things that the Holy Spirit does. Um, verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Wonderful Counselor, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. One of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is he illuminates our mind to understand all that the Bible says to us. Like the Bible is the living word of God, but it's the Holy Spirit who breathes life into the Bible. And I went to, to a really good Bible college, so good that it's no longer in existence. But at the time I was there, it was a pretty good school. One of my professors said to me, I was in a class with him, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit, and he said, we no longer need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds because we have the Bible. And everyone that reads the Bible can understand what the Bible says. And I thought to myself, have you ever read the Bible? Because every time I read it, I'm like more confused than when I started and the more I've walked with Jesus, the more I've realized that, no, the Holy Spirit is alive and well to open our eyes to see the things that Jesus has to say in his word. I do not sit down to pray without asking God to open my eyes to see the things that he would have me say. And honestly, there are some times that I regret saying it because he goes to work and he convicts and challenges in ways that I was not ready for. But the Holy Spirit, he opens our eyes to see the reality of the things that God has said through his word. That's why I say, like, these sermons often are moderately delivered, but they are exceptionally received because between me preaching and you hearing, the Holy Spirit goes to work and he breathes life into the word so that it might convict us and challenge us and draw us closer to the presence of Jesus. And he brings to remembrance the things that we have learned. And maybe you've experienced this. Like maybe like you've given your life to Jesus and you've been walking with him and you find yourself in the situation with, you know, a coworker and they start gossiping. And in the past, you would have always like jumped right in and joined the gossip. But you, you know, you just say like, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And you're thinking like, who am I? And it's the Holy Spirit using the word that he has planted inside of you to shape the person you are. 
And then finally, he says this. I think this is so relevant for our church family and for where I am. Verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. One of the, the, the things the Holy Spirit does, and we could literally spend hours unpacking the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and in our church, but he says the Holy Spirit gives peace. Like when life is difficult and challenging and circumstances beyond our control, like the Holy Spirit is the only place we can find peace. Like the best the world can offer us is happiness. Like, and, and being honest with, like, if I could choose between, like, being happy or being sad, I'd choose happy 10 out of 10 times. But happiness, if we're honest, based on our experience, is really based on our happenings. Like, when things, like, we can be really happy in one moment, we can be really sad the next moment. I saw that very clearly just this past uh, week, and Carissa and I went to Savannah for a quick getaway. We wanted to explore a city, just a really quick turnaround, and uh, we are having a great time. And I did not realize this before we went, but the only thing to do in Savannah is eat and drink, and we don't drink, so we ate a lot. Like, we would sit at lunch and had this wonderful lunch, and we were talking about where we were going to go for dinner. And so, like, we ate, and we did eat well. Uh, we redeemed points for everything else. So like the only thing we had to pay for was food. And so we were having this, this meal and I told Carissa, I was like, hey, we never do this. Like we're always pretty tight. Like, hey, don't get an appetizer. Don't get dessert. You really don't need soda, right? Like, so let's just kind of, what do we have coupons for? We'll do that. But it's like, let's just eat. And so like we got like two appetizers at our first dinner and then like we both got our own meal. Carissa asked to split, but I was like, I'm starving. I'm going to do my own thing. Like get dessert, get coffee, get all kinds of things. And like we're eating these oysters and it's just so wonderful. And I'm so happy. And inevitably, at the end of dinner, what do they do? They bring the bill. And it's amazing how fast that happiness dissipates. When I was like, we spent how much on food? doesn't matter what was free. Like, we can't afford this kind of thing. We're going to have McDonald's the rest of the trip. Uh, and so we packed up and came home. Now we're here with you. Um, but happiness is based on our happenings. That's what the Holy Spirit can offer. Happiness is good, but it's fleeting. The Holy Spirit, the world offers. The Holy Spirit offers peace. And so when we look around us and we see the world that we are living in, and it just looks like there's turmoil and chaos everywhere we look. You turn on the news or check the, the news online, it just seems like, man, the world is just burning down around us. It is the Holy Spirit who comes inside, comes inside of us and comforts us and gives us a peace. Peace that surpasses understanding. It's, it's uh, in, in some of the seemingly silly things like spending holiday with family. I know that's always a very uh, peaceful situation, right? But it's the Holy Spirit who can provide peace when you get a diagnosis or someone you love gets a diagnosis that just doesn't seem like there's a solution for. It's like, how are we going to navigate this? The first thing we do is we turn and we realize it's the Holy Spirit who gives peace. And more than anything, I think the Holy Spirit gives peace because he is the sign and the seal. He is the deposit guaranteeing our eternity with Jesus. I said in Acts chapter 2, when the, they were cut to the heart, Peter, they asked Peter, like, how do we get in on this Jesus promise of salvation, the forgiveness of sins? Like, we know there's a lot more than we can figure out at this moment, but we want to sign up to, to align our life with Jesus. He says you need to repent and be baptized. You'll get forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Several years later, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church uh, in Ephesus. We have it in our Bibles, the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, he says this. It says, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the, it says, 
guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I love how the, the, the New Testament and the Holy Spirit just brings it full circle because we started with a promise, a future promise that God made in the past tense about the promised Holy Spirit who was too wonderful for us to wrap our mind around, but he would come and he would dwell inside of us and he would guide us to the Father. Here, we have the promised Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us as a guarantee for the promise that is yet to be realized, eternity with Jesus. And so we are going to spend the next several weeks unpacking the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. But I love how he starts this text when he says he is wonderful counselor. He is dwelling with us. He's dwelling in us to give us peace and wisdom and insight, direction, but more than anything, to guarantee that when we are in Christ, we are in good standing with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your mercy and grace. It is only by the atoning work of Jesus on a cross, the forgiveness of our sins, and the sanctifying work of his spirit that we are able to gather together week in and week out to sing songs of praise, to make much of you, to to step out and invite others in that they might hear the good news that Jesus came and he died for them, that he is the promise of God with us. And it is his Holy Spirit who is the sign and the seal, the guarantee of our inheritance. And Father, today as we venture into this series to unpack the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, we just sing songs of praise. We make much of you. Lord, we're about to uh, celebrate um, three baptisms, three people who have been making their way to Jesus, and they are ready to unite their life with you. And Father, we are just so grateful that you stand ready to deposit your Holy Spirit in them. So from this point forward, they're no longer striving after you based on their own effort, but they're now being led to you by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Father, for all of us who have walked with you, we just thank you for that promise, the reality of it. We pray that every day we would have an ever-increasing affection for Jesus and a greater appreciation for your spirit's work inside of us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to end the song. Nikki's going to start doing her piano thing. And uh, we're going to take the confession of faith from Dale and Paige and Daniela because as soon as we finish here, they're going to go change and get ready and we're going to move out there and get baptized. So I want to do it separately. I'm going to do it as a family. Dale and Paige, come on out. They love, this family loves being the center of attention, uh, forward. Like Dale, Dale, like I'm just so excited. I'm excited anytime someone gets baptized, but I'm really excited uh, for Dale because he shared his story. And some of you maybe know, maybe you don't, but like I invited Dale when we were doing launch team gatherings. So we were at this small, struggling little church. They opened their doors for us and we had set up on Sunday evenings. It smelled like old people because it was full of old people. And I was like, we are never going to get this church off the ground. And so I was like texting everybody I know, hey, we're starting a church. And I got a lot of cuss words back, like leave me the cuss word alone. And, but I sent Dale a text and I said, Dale, like, I, I just would love to invite you to join us. And he said, like, Adam, I don't, this might sound weird, but I feel drawn to your church. And what Dale didn't know, we never spoken about Eastside, is that our core team of volunteers were praying for months a specific prayer together every day that God would draw people to himself through his church, that Eastside would be a church as he begins to take root and build it, that people would be drawn into God's presence, and that his spirit would start to stir the hearts of people that they might step in. And so Dale came the first week I invited him, and he's been here like, every week except for when he takes Maddox to shoot animals, which I'm a little jealous of. 
but he leads our setup and our teardown team. He's, he's rolled up his sleeves. He has made his site home. He's invited people in, and now he's invited his family. And uh, Paige has come. We just got to know her and, and the family. It's just been such a blessing to us. And finally, like, Dale's ready. To, he said one day, like, I'm ready to get baptized. And Paige said, I'm ready to get baptized. And so I'm going to take their confession. I'm going to get the privilege to baptize Dale. I wasn't willing to share that with anyone. But then Dale is going to baptize Paige. And so we are so excited to celebrate with them. So guys, yeah. So we always do the confession that Peter, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter, just with confidence and courage, he'd been walking with Jesus, trying to figure out and follow him, and all of us on the Holy Spirit made it click, and he says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And so we just ask you to repeat that with me. Say, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we are ready to make him Lord of our life. Let's pray for them. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and your grace. It is like, it is moments like this. It just almost seems selfish that we get to celebrate something so wonderful. And Lord, we love uh, Dale and we love Paige and we love watching them walk towards you with courage and confidence. And Father, they've, uh, they've been praying and asking you to make yourself known. And Father, we pray that today that they would experience in a very real and tangible way the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. That they know that they no longer have to try to figure out faith based on their own efforts or their own understanding, but you will give them wisdom and discernment and power and courage through the Spirit that they might walk with even more confidence. Father, we're so thankful for the way you are changing their family. You're giving them uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and it is already overflowing into the lives of those around them at work and at school and places of influence. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, prepare to baptize Dale and Paige, that you would just give them a special anointing from your Holy Spirit, uh, and that it would be a tremendous blessing to them. And thank you for the privilege as a church to celebrate with them. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Go ahead and get ready. And Daniela and Mateo. Daniela and Mateo, uh, they're awesome couple. Like, I hope you've gotten to know them. Uh, Dan- Mateo, they're both from Colombia, right? Both from Colombia. And Mateo, though, found Jesus in where? He's the only guy I know that says Minnesota with a Minnesota Colombian accent. I love it. I just ask him all the time. And I tried to, I came home from dinner with him the first time and told Crystal, you've got to ask Dan, or Mateo, where did you meet Jesus? Because it's Minnesota. Uh, this was awesome. Um, but now they're a couple and they've uh, gotten together and they've been trying to figure out faith and just had so much fun with them in the few times we've gotten together answering questions and love their holy curiosity. I've never met people that just want more of Jesus. And last week they surprised us because they got married on Saturday um yeah we came to church on Sunday and Daniela uh God has been drawing her in in an incredible way and her story and her testimony is just so powerful uh but she said I want to get baptized like I want to unite my life with Christ and uh so that God can work in me and through me and bless our marriage and so Daniela I'm gonna ask you to repeat that same confession I believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. And He is Lord of my life. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. They asked for a special prayer from their church family, not just for this incredible decision to walk closer with Jesus, but for their marriage. And so before we sing, let's pray together for them as a church family. Father, we are so thankful for Daniela and Mateo. 
Like we are thankful that your spirit has already been working on them to draw them into an intimate relationship with you. And Lord, their story and their testimony, the trials that they've faced as individuals and already as a couple as they've come to the United States to figure out faith, to figure out life, to figure out relationships. Lord, it is a testimony to your grace, your spirit's power at work in us. And Father, we are just over the moon excited that we get to be a part of this part of their journey. Um, that Daniela uh, is getting baptized. She has, your, your spirit has already been at work in her life and drawing her close, but you, she is uh, uniting her life with you in baptism and you're pouring her spirit into her life. That from this day forward, as they figure out life and faith and marriage, Lord, that they're not doing it on their own effort, but it is your spirit guiding and directing them. We pray for Daniela and Mateo, a special uh, blessing over their marriage, that as they begin to walk even more closely and intimately with you, that you would bless them as they walk closely as a couple, and as you draw them together in the direction that you are leading them, that they would experience the, the joy and the intimacy uh, in their marriage. And Father, we're so thankful for your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. You stay standing. We are going to sing a few songs. They're going to get ready, and then there will be some instructions given. I'm positive, but we'll meet in the, uh, the uh, lobby area for a baptism celebration.